Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by Chris Harries, Jonas Schultz, Hayden Abbas, and Sabina Edelund to discuss building the DevOps culture, strategies for success. So before we get deeper into the topic, we'll work our way around the group with some introductions. So Chris, do you want to kick us off? Hi, I'm Chris. I'm an engineer and manager and head of infrastructure at Mindler, a Swedish mental health company. Perfect. Uh, Jonas, do you want to go next? Yes. Hello. My name is Jonas Schultz and I am the tech lead manager for the DevOps group in Cinch. Lovely. Haider? Hi, my name is Heather Abbas and I'm engineering manager in one of Swedbank group and also leading the infrastructure team in that group. Nice. And then Savina, a little introduction to you. Yeah. Hi. My name is Savina and I'm working as a technical leader at Volvo Cars, specializing in test driven development. Amazing. Lovely. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Well, now that we've all got a little bit of context to each of you, we'll get stuck into the questions that you've all prepared. So as usual, we'll make our way around the group, asking your own questions and sharing your thoughts about the topic of building a DevOps culture strategies for success. So Hayda, your question is first and you asked, is there a need of dedicated resources for roles within DevOps or can it be given as an extra responsibility to an existing resource? Tell us a bit more about your question and why you asked it. Yeah, uh, the purpose was that um, uh, normally, uh, like many companies have like started their DevOps journey a bit later uh, during their development cycle. So they don't think about this DevOps or DevSecOps uh, uh, option right away in the start. The first priority for every project mostly is that they start there if it is a product-based company or any other type of company they want their work done initially as quickly as possible to make their product up in the market and then when they are like initially done with those initial phases then they start thinking about uh, starting their develop journey that's how it has been like before now maybe uh, it has been a bit different because people know about it uh, for be, uh, uh, beforehand so uh, in that case, like uh, in the first part when I mentioned, so teams or companies who have been working with their development, their operations, so then later on when they start their develop journey, they assign that responsibility actually to people who are already doing it, either in like development or in other capacity. So they start just doing uh, that work, they carry on. 
and um, uh, they are doing like the development as well and it's taken as like sort of part-time job at times uh, which creates actually a lot of problems at times uh, because uh, there is a need of i believe so a dedicated devops team or a professional who is wholly solely responsible for it because then uh, uh, you are doing it in a right way professional way and doing it with like the new tips and techniques which are available then that person or that team is then specialized in that uh, area uh, uh, but i've like seen teams or uh, companies who are like not doing it that way and then they come up like with many problems where uh, things sort of like at times fall behind between the chairs and also like they are not up to date with the latest technologies which are available which can help them a lot but they miss that because they don't have those dedicated people or resources yep and uh, that that was sort of like yeah no and, uh, yeah. we should uh, take uh, <laughs> get to answer here or at least come comment on the whole thing so one of the things that i feel about this is a bit about the maturity of the company on the actual products and what they're doing if you have products that's very mature and don't much happen to them then i feel like a dedicated devops team might not be the right thing I feel like then you shouldn't probably have more of a chance to get um, more efficiency by having the DevOps closer to the actual teams. When you have um, not so matured um, products and stuff that you need to change and develop, find new ways of getting them out into production or whatever, uh, building different environments, then it's much more important to have something that's a central group that can unify and uh, collaborate or coordinate the collaboration between the teams or whatever is needed to get that product in a top shape. Yeah, I can actually add a little bit. I'm working um, on a daily basis after we made the DevOps transformation, CF transformation and global cars in a group which is called Software Factory. And that is um, a little bit um, on the side what you are asking for. We are providing the infrastructure and the runways for uh, the software developers in DevOps. Um, but let's get back to, and that means that we tie together the, um, or to say the operation part of the DevOps, uh, the configuration, the packaging, the release handling and then we have the oper uh, development part which is using that as a runway when they develop it can be a matter of scale that we need this kind of um, uh, organization but uh, quite a few uh, bigger companies have this kind of setup at least some kind of software factory like because at, at least at scale uh, if you don't keep your tooling in check uh, there is a um, risk of diverging that each developer, you know, each developer loves certain tools. And if you have a big uh, big number of developers coming with their favorites to the DevOps chain, in worst case, you end up with a lot of tools which you need to maintain and stabilize and what will make it automatic. 
So to some extent, you need to stare and, and provide the runway for it. Um, but on the other hand, what you can, from my experience, that's practice uh, is to make sure what you need to work with to keep in the teams, most important keeping the teams, is uh, the sense of responsibility for the quality which uh, they are producing. So they get the feedback from uh, um, the release sets and uh, feedback from customers. They can do false slip-throughs. Um, that was my reflection, because I actually work in an organization which is doing what you're asking for. Hmm. Yeah, I um, I, I sort of tend to agree with the spirit of that, which the answer is it depends. And I, I think that word depends runs through probably a lot of my answers today. Um, so, I mean, you and I, we, we probably have quite different environments at work, even if you could argue we both have two sets of people that are writing infrastructure as code. Um, you know, you work for a very large, old Swedish bank, Um that probably has a lot of money, and I work for a, a small startup that's four years old. <clears throat> so um, the needs are, are probably quite different, um, depending um, on the. And I, I think that's true. It depends on the company and the and the culture, uh, and it depends on the people. Um, I think it also depends on you as a, as a leader, depending if you want to change what you have. Um, so if you're in a situation where you think that we need right we need a dedicated team that does devops what whatever that sort of looks like do you as a leader want want to actually change that um because you might come up to stiff resistance you might um it might go swimmingly people might jump in and go yeah that sounds great um and the other way around as well if you wanted to move from a dedicated team closer to developers um you, you, but there could be a struggle. Um, it, it really depends on what your company's like, I think. And um, so it, I think it's hard to give a, a sort of dedicated answer either way. Um, and ultimately, I, I wouldn't, I know you're not asking this, but I, I wouldn't want to put, you know, put out a paper that says you should do this, whether it's um, DevOps in development teams or a dedicated team because I'll be right for some people and I'll be I'll be wrong for others. I also think that Sabine, you you said something just there as well. I also think that regulations can sometimes play a part in this because you could end up with teams that work on a product that comes under regulations. We, we could quite easily see this with a team that works on a payment system and maybe they have PCR requirements that the other teams don't. Um and for and so they might deal with a whole set of challenges that other teams do not have. And in that case, um, that's a really good uh, case for DevOps being closer to the team because they're quite specific needs. Um, should a central team manage that? Maybe, but maybe that's also not the best way of doing it either. Um, and it, yeah, again, favorite tools as well. Um, a dedicated sort of infrastructure DevOps team who di dictates things can be good, um, but does that make things restrictive for you know team over there who really wants to try out this um, this new product, this new thing, whatever it is, technology? Um, are you restricting them? Are you restricting them unnecessarily? 
Um, maybe. Maybe not. I, I'm actually a fan of um, both if you can afford it uh, if um, and, and if you have the willingness. Um, but I also see the risk of you could have a really, really important development team who um, is is working on some sort of thing that involves DevOps. And then, I don't know, people leave or people change te- teams as a promotion. And suddenly you have this team that was working on a lot of DevOps stuff that start with people who absolutely do not want to do it. <laughs> and then what do you do? I mean, we can always solve these problems, but I, I'm, I am a fan of both of those options if, you're, if your company allows it, which, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. So not always, but. Yeah, just one uh, comment on it, like uh, just to put the context uh, right for that question as well, that uh, uh, yes, uh, most of the points which we have just discussed, I would rather say uh, I would agree with all of them. Uh, but like even if we choose one option or another, it won't be possible like when we say that there should be a dedicated team, then only that team is responsible. Like the important thing is that we should have that mindset or culture overall because it's not just one team that performs it. If the overall culture within the uh, project or the company, it's not for DevOps. And one simple rule of thumb for it is that, okay, every person in that group or team should have this in mind that, okay, we need to automate everything. So yeah. if that is the mindset, then we will be like going or staying in that direction. That that was my last comment as well. Point. I could say that one dream that I would have is that you had it floating back and forth. So you had <laughs> like first you had the uh, DevOps in the uh, in the teams, then you created a team of those guys that was working together for a while. Then they spread out again to other teams in order to spread the knowledge in a much better way. And I don't think that uh, mandating is perfect. I think it's recommended that it's a better word. And then if they actually have a very good need for something else than what's mandated or recommended, then they should use that. I think striking a balance between what bringing in new stuff, uh, allowing the team to experiment and also keeping the old stuff um, stabilizing and recommended because not everyone wants to experiment. It might be just 20% that actually are of the developers experimenting. And um, so there is, uh, we use something from the tech creator, uh, which is a Spotify also using, and um, coupled with the backstage, which promotes uh, a golden path, but then also um, uh, allowing experimentation outside of that. You have given an example of Spotify. There is one more uh, short example I would give. It's for Netflix as well. They have this tool where they inject some bugs in their system in order to test it whether how does it works. Like with their, this DevOps process in place, how quickly those bugs are fixed and then deployed to production. Because uh, one minute of downtime for Netflix, like of course downtime means a lot for everyone, but like it cost them a lot. So they prepared or they brought this process in place to like inject some bugs in the system and then test their DevOps process or DevOps flow. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 
Nice, lovely. Well, good question to kick us off. Um, and Sabina, your question is next. And you asked, how does the scale of operations affect DevOps culture? So tell us a bit more about your question. Yeah, um, as I said, um, my experience is from uh, large scale embedded software development at Ericsson at the Volvo. Uh, Ericsson as a developer and a tester, and uh, Volvo, I was part of the CI transformation. Um, and that doing those uh, transformations, it, it's a lot of, about building knowledge in the organization, of course, but it's also a significant culture and mindset shift which you need to inject in those kind of companies that come from a maybe hardware background and moving into software. So my question to the panel is then, is there any reflections from your side on how you work with the DevOps culture and keep it as operations grow? Some of you are working in smaller scale, some of them are in large scale, but um, what, what are your tips and tricks and uh, best practices to keep and maintain a DevOps culture? I don't know who should answer first, um, but uh, Cinch grew from, I think we were eight people in 2008, and today we're 4,500 or something. And uh, the scale of operations, at least when I was part of this, has grown tremendously. And we have acquired different companies and gotten um, quite a few different uh, ways of working into the company and trying to make this one culture or one uh, system. This has been a challenge. It's not going to be, uh, it can't be described in any other way. Um, and when you scale up operations, you have quite a few things that you need to think about, like trying to uh, make sure that people actually talk to each other, that you don't create too many islands. Um, because if if there is some people who always talk to each other and you grow, then that island still keep try, uh, continues to talk to each other, but might not talk to a different island. And those islands are really hard to break up. So making sure that these people actually do uh, interchange and do stuff. And uh, again, uh, Spotify has been another mention here before, and they use these guild uh, type or um, clans or whatever they call tribes and stuff uh, in order mm -hmm. to try to change and make sure that everyone knows about whatever is going on on the other parts. I think that's one of the things that uh, has helped us quite a bit. Uh, it's not always that we uh, take advice from everyone else, but we at least we know what's going on in the rest of the landscape of uh, tools and operations and all of that. I can uh, give some example of like Swatbank. Uh, uh, we like, if I talk specifically with the scenario where I'm uh, working with, so we get like a lot of, uh, let's suppose, customer questions for, for to our customer facing uh, team, operations team, for example. Then at times, like those are identified as some bugs which need to be like fixed, and it's now a cycle which keeps on going with old products, new products, and then that 
cycle for raising an issue till fixing that issue to production with a complex organizations or big organizations it's a big challenge basically and that's most important things a thing for uh, such big financial institutions to like stay within the business they had to reduce that time because the shorter that time to delivery or time to market more business they get and longer time means more business for someone else so uh, uh, and here i would say a concept of like uh, the hot fixes comes in which i see as a complex thing to handle because the normal release process that we have yes that's a bit smoother that goes uh, without major issues but when it comes to like hot fixes there are certain things which you sometimes sometime like have to bypass the rules which you have set for yourself uh, so uh, the, the, you have to like then customize your process according to uh, the uh, respective issue or uh, thing that you have got and i would agree with yunus regarding the uh, guild or tribes concept uh, we are actually we have started working on it we haven't yet implemented it but we have accepted that reality that it will going to be like help us so that that is going to be like one step in like bringing in efficiency in your operations to like have these cross functional metrics or guild tribes type of organization in place it it brings in efficiency in uh, your way of working and in the end again you reduce your time to market which helps you Yeah, and how do you set those guilds? Up? It's actually uh, depends. Depends basically at some places. Uh, if I give my uh, example, so we have done that on competence level. So, for example, some competencies uh, they are same competencies. They are kept in same guild. That competence doesn't mean like two level competence. So, for example, uh, if I say like all the Java developers will be. in one guild all the apos will be another guild all the uh, uh, scrum masters will be another guild testers will be another guild and then they spread out to virtual scrum teams for example so they have multiple line uh, so one is your line reporting one is your virtual team so you are sort of like connected in multiple places but you belong to one guild or what tribe Yeah, I, I I think this question links a little bit to the the question about dedicated resources or or or, or um, dedicated teams or, or put it in the development teams because um, if you have a dedicated team, I think scale makes you you can suffer quite badly from bottlenecks um, and uh, <clears throat> and also that team could become out of sync with what's going on with the developers. um so i mean i i think um yeah hader we we obviously have quite strong um regulations you're in banking i'm in um so i have medical data the, the other two i'm not i'm not too sure what regulations you have but um we probably have similar uh, similar challenges um obviously we're different sizes though um so i, I guess my um and the three of you work at much much bigger companies than i have so um Yeah, I, I guess the, this sort of your mileage might vary is the the saying there. But when I started at Mindler, we were quite a small company. I think we were, were around twenty five people in HQ, and then we 
grew very, very quickly. And I was the single resource for, uh, we called it infrastructure that, that covered a variety of different things. Um, and um, so we had new people coming on all the time, you know, every week it was like, every Monday morning, it was like a bunch of new names and people would always bring their they, their passions, what they want to do. People are in probation, so they want to prove themselves, you know, you're, you're handling a lot of things. And when you're the single person dealing with infrastructure, this is quite entertaining because lots of people want lots of different things and they all come from different backgrounds as well. Oh, in my company, we had admin access to aws why don't i have that here you know lots of things like this and i'm like because we have regulations it's not that simple for us i know we're small um but it it was quite tough to be honest um so what i did is to to set up this cross team i think the word in spotify is guild we we sort of set up our own internal name but um lots of companies do it and i think from from my perspective the reason why I wanted that was so I could have a weekly feedback with a group of a dev in each of our development teams. Um, I think there were six teams at the time. And so they could tell me what was going on in their teams, what they wanted, what they didn't like from our infrastructure setup. Um, and then part of that was also me feeding back and trying to explain why I may be a bit of a blocker on a project or things might be going slowly to try and give people context. I'm not just being, you know, blocker Chris. Uh, There might be a good reason. But it also gave them the opportunity um, to moan at me when I was being a bit slow with certain things. So there there was a two-way street on that one. Um, But yeah, I mean, Jonas, you talked about islands. Um, It was a way to try and prevent islands and to set up a conversation you know um we had our own board and we had weekly meetings we had our own slack channels um and um i i think everyone everyone was really appreciative of it i think everyone really appreciated having some a dedicated channel to me actually um was was useful um we've expanded now and everything you know we and and things have changed a bit now uh, but that that i think really helped in um i you know it helped with work and all of that stuff, but I think it also allowed for some empathy um, because it allowed people to really explain what their issues are um, with 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 people in me- in teams on a on a on a similar subject. It can be quite easy to go to a whole team. You know, you go into their Slack channel. You know, hi guys. You know, I want to build this thing and. You can get quite different responses. Someone might not know you. Someone might know you very, very well. You might be really great friends. Um, but if you have a sort of a cross-team group of people, even if you know each other or don't know each other or like each other or don't like each other, you're you're going to work together. So each team is kind of represented in a in a in a in a loose band of of people. Um, so I, I think it I think it really really helped to be honest. Um, and I think it, yeah, work, work was work was smoother. But I think um, people, the the, yeah, the empathy increased, and I I think that's where I um, appreciated it most. But what you're all describing in Levitifying me into it is one of the success um, factors seems to be some kind of community building. You're building some kind of communities around. Uh, how you communicate then with your developers and at when when it moves to a certain scale. 
Yeah. I think that yeah. uh, personal relationships is something that's very key in this. Um, and just not uh, like a community, but actually knowing uh, the people around you and who to talk to and what to do. And I see that mm -hmm. DevOps has traditionally been the ones that's they talk to everyone more or less uh, and build those relationships. And I, I know even today I get questions from who did you know someone from that team that was working with on that particular feature or something like that yeah I, actually i do but it wasn't really it's a few years now or something but um, i do remember that too yes mm -hmm. um, but yeah getting the uh, people uh, aspect of the whole thing is very important and it helps to have someone that i had in my team when building the guilds who basically never shut up. He talked until he got his answers. And that was for everyone. <laughs> and I think there, there is maybe this sort of irony there um, a little bit that there's this um, um, sort of stereotype that people who work in IT sort of don't want to work with people and lock themselves away. And maybe for some people that, that can be true and they are allowed to do that. But we, we end up with quite a lot of people who I think like in our roles where communication and talking to people is is vitally important whether you want to or not yes that's so true so true nice so we'll move on to our third question now and it is yours jonas and you asked how can devops show tangible business value to management so tell us a bit more about your question why yeah you so um for me it's a little bit like i i know that my management they know that this is a good function that they have here they know that they get value out of it but then sometimes I want to ask for a little bit of extra resources because I see that there is a problem here that I could probably solve with a bit more manpower or more, more like this is a special tool that I want to invest in or something like that. And that in tool can be quite uh, costly. So um, then when you talk to them and say, yeah, we, we normally we can get better uh, the throughput from the teams by having this and they go yes yes but then when you actually talk to them it's it's a bit too vague they don't see the actual value of that uh, being so then when i say it's going to cost this amount of money then say all right yeah that's a bit too much for us we don't need that um so it's a little bit of tactics and strategies how how to get that message out there that we do provide value we get it we are the cogs in the uh, that makes things actually reduce stuff and we uh, are not uh, just always as you say the blocker uh, from the previous place uh, we kind of do stay stuff and sometimes if we had more money then maybe we would not be as much as a blocker because we could hire more people and do that comments or thoughts yes i would say that um, uh, i've actually experienced somewhat of such type of scenario once like uh, where like if you start doing such type of like initiative then for top management you have to like put in an idea you have to sell your idea you know in order to sell that you have to like correlate or link things because 
of course when you uh, start doing such type of like initiative it will mean cost and uh, in order to get that cost approved you have to like provide some tangible uh, results so one example can be that when we say that we need to let's suppose automate this and this thing then we have to like provide a justification that okay doing it manually takes this much time takes these many resources and doing it in automated way takes this much time which is let's suppose one one by two or one by three but like even still that difference if it's not that much then an additional justification had to be given as well that okay when you are doing it manually you do you don't do it like the moment you need to do that task you have the people available who start doing it but in case of automation you can do it anytime that you want it so uh, and also like uh, then there are times where you have to justify your idea in terms of numbers where you have to like prepare some sort of like excel sheet or anything where you have to give tangible numbers or figures to justify that okay i want to do this let's suppose um devops or automation or anything then this will be the difference that we will be feeling then it makes a bit sense because even if uh, like you don't show those or correlate things and then like apart from these numbers you have to like show the positives and negatives in terms of that as well that okay doing this will get these benefits not doing this will get like these losses so uh, this this is uh, my point of view if i understood your question correctly. yeah no and i have tried these tactics as well so it's not yeah. uh, like it's not unfamiliar territory for me it's so far it's just been hard so that's yes. a little bit why i wanted to post this here Yeah, sometimes it's about it, maybe translating it to better feedback time or release time or feature growth. And sometimes it's about the, when it's really difficult, it might be benchmarking towards yeah. on the outside as well to bring in new practices and new tools, which are costly. And I also feel like sometimes it feels like it. I provide a value and then the, a team is getting the benefits from it and that team get becomes so, so all of a sudden that team provide gets the value but they're not really um, so it's I provide team a value for others because I normally see all my uh, development teams as my clients but uh, yeah it's a sometimes a bit hard to get this but I see that the, it's not an easy way either for anyone. You're just nodding in here. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a really tough question. I mean, I, 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 I struggled a lot with your question. Um, but, you know, just in that way that if anyone had a golden answer for this, we'd, we'd probably all go and do it all tomorrow, wouldn't we? <laughs> um, I, you know, when I thought of your question, I, um, I thought, what I thought of was... Um, uh, quite a few years ago in my career, I was a, ne a network engineer. I was a full-time network engineer. Uh, and networking's quite funny because 
even to Linux sysadmins or Unix sysadmins, networking can look confusing to, to them. Um, networking is under, understood by people who work in networks and like nobody else. Um, so uh, networking can be even more invisible. And it was this word invisible that I latched onto um, because I'm sure we all know this sort of um, classic meme of um, senior management saying to the IT staff, everything is working. Why are we paying for these people? And then the second one is everything is down. Why are we paying for these people? And networking is very difficult because networking has zero tangible um, um, pr pr ways to present to people who who don't, it's difficult to present it to technical people, let alone non-technical people, um, because you know websites you can justify, servers you can maybe try and draw some things, but networking is incredibly difficult and it's incredibly invisible. And actually, what you you want networking to be invisible—that's the sort of irony behind it—that a network should should just work and it should handle failures. That's a well-built network that it automatically handles failures, and nobody knows. Um, and so in some ways, DevOps can be invisible. Like if you're really good at it, um, you've got um, pipelines that work, your count creation works, um, engineers, the developers have what they need and and maybe you're one step ahead of them um, and they can work in a way and, and, and um, uh, deploy changes that are seamless and and without any real drama, then f the reality is that 99% of your company is completely seamless. You could you could be invisible to even a lot of your developers, other than maybe some seniors that you worked with. Um, so so how do you how do you how do you say oh yeah okay let's um, you know this tool or this resource or we need three more people that cost X amount of krona? How do we justify that when? when we should be invisible i mean yeah a million dollar question or million kroner question i i don't know i mean in some ways um um speed of delivery uh, you mentioned dora um yeah in this and i i hadn't heard of that um we we looked at a tool called swarmia actually um which i think they're a finnish company and they try and get out metrics of um delivery time and how long's a a pull request is open now. That's specific. That is um, generic across, um, you know, all of your repos. But if you could hone into things that involve DevOps, that might help. Um, reliability and uptime. And one one word I used was happiness because um, that sounds a bit stupid. But you know, people get really annoyed if they can't deploy stuff or if a deployment is just takes forever and it's always broken and um that's a bit of a weak word i think it's difficult to put happiness as the tangible metric against devops yes. but, <laughs> but I, I would say developer you know the developer experience yeah. with the happy developers uh, i can probably put out a cost on what the mad developer is <laughs> and that, that's the cost for the, the that's not Yes, and uh, when when we talk about like uh, if we take DevOps aside and we go to like the manual deployments process, so it used to be like the week when we had a planned deployment. So previously, it used to be narrated as hell week. 
So it, it's it's like so much for everyone and everyone is so much stressed out. So thanks to DevOps, which has like sort of eased up life for everyone. But I agree uh, the way Chris has given example of like network working and network not working, both are invisible. So over here, the effort is invisible as well. Nobody sees it. Well, thank you. But I think key is metrics. Um, whatever uh, at scale it's like ericsson involved uh, using webhooks or ethel protocols to make sure that you can um, monitor the events that happening um, that could be actually one way of uh, um, adding the metrics you know on both on deployment and uh, how uh, fast you can deploy features and stuff like that but that would require another investment, which you need to <laughs> make stuff. <laughs> well, I probably need to put that investment up for myself uh, in my own spare time, just to get uh, the resources later on when I when I need them. Then it's actually not a direct correlation, but indirectly you can correlate, uh, Sabina. Maybe that, uh, for example, if you have defined some KPIs or like in bigger organizations where you have separate development team, maintenance or support team. So let's suppose before your DevOps processes were in place, how many tickets you were getting at that time. And now when you have your DevOps process in place, how many tickets are you getting now? So you can then correlate yeah. it, but then like there comes a lot of other things in place as well. It's not directly that, okay, all these benefits are due to no, us. Um, <laughs> yes. Usually in, in larger, um, like working with the, the systems I've been working in, there is a strong correlation between the number of faults that slip through and the costs that um, gives in the end. So, um, and you're totally right on that, Abbas. You need to make sure that uh, that is part of the calculation you make. Yeah, we actually we are working with uh, in like a uh, safe way of working and our increment program increment uh, is for three months. So after every PI, when we do uh, inspect and adopt, so we do uh, showcase it to whole group that okay, these three P, uh, these three months, these were the number of incidents, these were the criticalities for them, and like whole uh, group, including all the top management is there as well, who like then gets all that view of how did we work during during these three uh, three months. Nice. Well, we will go on to our last question, and it is yours, Chris. And you asked, does DevOps as a role and concept in this day and age take security seriously? And does the idea of DevSecOps make this situation better or worse? So tell us a bit more about your question. Uh, yes. Um, Abby will probably remember from my previous podcast that I am very interested, invested in security, but I, I find the whole thing very convoluted and still very expensive and I um not I, I'm not a fan of this situation and I feel like people are making a lot of money but um make the situation I don't think is getting better um I mean in the old way of doing things uh, there could be an approach to 
to security in an IT sense of either not at all, or if you were big enough to have a security team, maybe you'd throw it over the wall. Um, and that comes from both a, a development perspective and also from an infrastructure sysadmin perspective as, as well. Um, and um, a, f- a few years ago, I, I don't know exactly when this term was formed, but I learned about the term DevSecOps around 2015. Um, and sort of looking into it, um, it I, I, first of all, I hate that term, um, unnecessarily hate that term. Um, <laughs> but I, it felt a little bit like, oh, okay, well, we've got either DevOps teams that are maybe interested in security or maybe security teams that are looking at infrastructure as code. Um, and, and I wasn't, I wasn't really sure that that it felt like an offshoot. It felt like trying to make security teams write Python or Terraform, um, or make a sort of team within DevOps. Um, I, but I feel like we have the tools and the power to, to be better at this. And I, uh, but I still feel like we're not getting there. And when we talk about successful DevOps cultures, in, in this day and age, um, I feel like security needs to have a much more front and center position um, than it does. It still feels like, um, you know, security is something that bigger companies do or security is something that you do when regulations come in. Um, and I, I won't profess to have solved this at, at all. Um and but I do wonder how the others feel about this subject. I mean, do you disagree or on that? Maybe you disagree with me, or do you agree? Um, do you do you think that um, it's being prioritised enough or not prioritised enough? Um, uh, and what does development slash DevOps um, still struggle with security um, in this day and age? Um, I mean, 20 years I've been doing this and I'm not sure um, that even with all of the hacks and it's, you know, now now we live in a world where you sign up to a website, that will be leaked at some point. That You know, that's the world we live in. Um, but are we are we much better than, than we were 20 years ago? Um, I don't think we are. I, in fact, if anything, I'll sort of say uh, to close, if anything... If we have more people building infrastructure, like DevOps was all about taking sysadmins and changing that world and and bringing a sort of sysadmin hat into development, um, we actually have more variables, more people, um, more places that it could go wrong, um, usually by accident. Um, so I, I wonder if, and I still feel like that, methodology that culture of devops still doesn't really have security right right in the center of it like it should do just to really well yeah to, to stop all these data leaks going on yeah uh interesting my reflection on it because i'm come from automotive um so and we are yeah, we have a lot of regulations which we are uh, doing. These have, have mainly been manual processes before we started with DevOps. But uh, so we have never, from, from our perspective, we're always putting the, this first. This is the first priority. 
So we build our DevOps out of taking this into consideration at all times. Um, so we apply it as a like a supporting process, but that is usually when coming from uh, maybe a more manual, slow uh, process of handling uh, regulations and uh, stuff like that. What do you? It takes time to do it, and you put DevOps on that. That's not necessarily bad for security because you get the traceability in your software development, which you might not have before. You have uh, order and remedy in your um, DevOps chains, which uh, cannot really be beaten by a manual process because the manual process can always, and a human factor can uh, mess things up. Uh, so. Uh, we use like techniques like AFO and you know, as, I, as I said, webhooks to trace uh, changes in the um, process, which actually enables security, I think, in some parts. But uh, as I said, I come from uh, maybe a wrong angle there because we have that as a top priority already. Yeah, actually, uh, uh, my take on it is that um, even like just like automation, uh, automotive industry, financial industries have a lot of regulations as well. Uh, but like uh, my take on it will be that we try to get the level of security which fulfills that regulation only, not to like uh, if if the regulation. Uh, security requirement is lower, then we just meet that, not looking at, okay, what do all we need? Uh, uh, if something extra is needed, mostly like that's not, those steps are not taken. Just like meeting the regulation, uh, that's one. Uh, but apart from it, uh, it I would say that uh, the maturity of teams depends on that as well. Uh, uh, mature teams, like they do consider all those security related stuffs uh, like to be considered because they know it's helpful for them uh, and then uh, there are like tools and techniques available which has now made security a bit easier like if I could say regarding like for configurations for example so there are tools like Ansible, Terraform which makes you like uh, when you have like a broader infrastructure and you have like uh, many environments, then rather doing it like on everywhere manually takes you a lot of time uh, and uh, resources. Uh, automating it with like tools uh, uh, like Ansible and Terraform, it's quite easy for you where you automate the infrastructure as a total. So uh, my, my take will be that it depends on maturity and the sector where you're working on but like we we are sort of like making sure that the industry standards that are there they're fulfilled uh, the regulations are fulfilled and then like uh, in such industries we have regular audits so uh, even uh, if regulators don't comes to like uh, check those things uh, you are sort of like then caught in those audits so you have to do those things in order to like avoid those uncompliances and be whitelisted. 
stay stay white whitelisted actually because um in in financial sector like we usually regularly are being like monitored and then if you don't fulfill it then no matter how critical your system is you will be blacklisted and in order to like make your system available you have to take those measures yeah and it's the same with us there is that isn't something we can skip because it's a too lot business risk as auditor or and and your business we need to build that in from the beginning i think it's good to have someone in with the title of that because they will then know that that is a little bit of their responsibility to take the extra measurements to be updated with uh, what's going on outside uh, keep uh, understanding on following the right channels and stuff so they actually know what's going on and can bring in that to the developers because you can have developers that's good at security but if they have 50 60 other types of things that they need to take care of as well plus the features that they need to develop not having a devsecops that's have that as a special interest can make it a bit harder um, but you also need to have in enough of a manpower to, to let them have that uh, role to be able to walk around and be a little bit of explorative in the products to see what's going on. Um, they, they, you can't have them so that they're filling out different roles. They need to have the time for that then. Yeah, no, I, yeah, that's a good idea, actually. I think, I mean, you know, we, we take security seriously and, and it's and it's it's quite refreshing to see in some ways and it's um quite... i don't think i want to mention that we take that too i mean i don't think <laughs> that any company don't no. take security yeah. uh but uh, i think we should clear when, clear that one too yeah one one uh, point to add is that the taking security seriously i personally feel that the importance of it has arised post-covid time it was yes it was treated like given same amount of importance even before as well uh, but my point of view is that maybe it has taken more importance after covid where like uh, these hybrid or work from home things have like became sort of like a common thing and then from cyber security point of view where the risks have like increased so the importance of those areas that has, in my point of view, increased in recent days. Yeah. No, yeah. And I yeah, think that true. also that there is more people who knows about what security holes there is, is larger. And therefore you are more exposed in some ways because of more people that looks for your problems is easier have an easier time finding them the, the more they are uh, you had a good point Jonas when you, I think you mentioned it briefly over there that the central support for security IPT here you need even if you don't have an entire team with uh, that confidence which can support but someone in the organization need to have that path I think to support 
Yeah, but there there is uh, if I give like the same extension to that, like uh, in uh, for example in Swat Bank, we have a steering committee, uh, sort of group of few professionals where. If you are like getting yourself exposed to such type of thing, then before going live, uh, call it test or production, you have to appear before that steering committee where you have to like present your uh, case that, okay, this is something which we are going to do. Then they'll ask like a lot of questions and you have to answer them and convince them. And if they are not convinced, you are asked to like come back again. We have like a weekly meeting like those. You have to have that approval before you start taking any actions. So uh, like nevertheless, those steering people in that steering committee, they are like not doing that actual job. We are the one who are doing it. But like we have a sort of like a, um, uh, a sort of authority on top where we have to seek approval before moving ahead. Perfect. Well, I guess we'll leave the podcast there. Um, this has been another episode of the Evolution Exchange podcast. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Chris, Jonas, Hader and Sabina for joining us on the episode and providing your insights um, to the topic of building a DevOps culture. If you're listening and fancy joining a podcast yourself, feel free to message me on LinkedIn or email at abby.stokes at evolution-nordics.com. But if not, I shall see you next time. Bye.